This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host. Welcome, everyone. This is the Meaningful Sport Podcast, and I am your host, Nora Ronkainen. Meaningful Sport is a series of discussions on the why and how involvement in sport and physical activity can be an important part of a life worth living. If you are interested in the theme, you might also want to check out MeaningfulSport.com. There you can find podcast show notes, read a blog, and access many resources for further explorations of Meaningful Sport. This is the third and the final part of our discussion with Gunnar Breivik, who is a professor emeritus at the Norwegian School of Sport Sciences. Professor Breivik's work has been foundational in philosophy of sport, and it was a great honor for me to have him in the podcast, sharing his thoughts and and his exciting work. I will briefly sum up the previous episodes in case you haven't listened to them already. Part one was an exploration of Heidegger's philosophy and how it can be applied to our thinking around sport. Gunnar shared his work on ontology of the sporting human being, which builds upon Heidegger's philosophy, but also extends into novel new directions that can help us understand how we find ourselves in the sporting world. In the second part, we discussed Heidegger's notion of authenticity and how Gunnar has used that when exploring skydiving. We also discussed existentialist ideas about breakdown and temporality and how to apply these ideas in sport. And today, in this third and final part of our discussion, we move away from existentialism and focus on ecological sport, which has been one of the key topics of Gunnar's most recent work. Concerns of sustainability are among the pressing concerns of our collective human agenda worldwide. But what would ecologically sustainable and ecologically acceptable sport look like? How much do we need to rethink the way we practice sport or even the fundamental ideas of sport in our society. Let's listen to what Gunnar has to say. I think now it would be really a nice time point to talking of time. <laughs> so um, let's let's move on a little bit to discuss um, some of your recent work. You have written about this already a long time ago, but now you have, um, in in some of your recent work, started to connect sport to this pressing global concerns about sustainability and 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 what is going to happen to our our planet as a whole in terms of the environmental crisis so you've pointed that in in sport philosophy uh, with few exceptions there hasn't been uh, discussions about what is what would be an ecologically acceptable or sustainable sport and what would it look like and so um one of the thinkers that you have drawn upon in in your own work of exploring this ecologically sustainable sport is the Norwegian philosopher Arne Ness. So um, let's let's start explorations of that that topic area, and you can you can tell 
a little bit more about uh, Arne Ness's work on, on deep ecology. Well, uh, um, Arne Ness is, is, very, is very interesting in many ways. Uh, first of all, he was uh, a leading international philosopher when he discovered, so to say, uh, the importance uh, of uh, the new uh, science of ecology which uh, came up in the 60s uh, after Rachel Carson's uh, famous book in 1962 um, about pesticides and how they changed the world. Um, there was a sort of uh, use of the new system theory uh, of uh, ecology. And Ernest became interested in that. He had another uh, also, uh, so to say... Um, uh, root in uh, Spinoza's philosophy, and uh, which is also sort of uh, looking uh, at uh, at how everything uh, hangs together in a in a in a total whole, and he combined this in many ways uh, and developed developed things into what he called deep ecology, as uh, opposed to shallow ecology. Shallow ecology is when you look at how you can handle superficial uh, uh, pollutions and so on, uh, deep ecology is uh, a new understanding uh, of how uh, humans are parts of uh, the, the total... Uh, you used, uh, we used earlier nature... Now it, we would call it environment, which is not so good because then there is the focus of humans in the center and then we have the environing world around us. But Ness moved on to, to, to develop a, a philosophy where uh, humans are just part of this total uh, ecological uh, system or nature let's call it nature because it's simpler but uh, but uh, we should be aware that it's not nature as different from humans because humans are part of nature according to to Arnes, and he also calls this the, the ecological web and uh, mm -hmm. uh, humans are part of the ecological web on the same level as uh, all other living things. So he uh, argues for um, uh, an egalitarian approach, uh, which means that uh, all living beings are just not in the ecological web. And there may be good reasons why we uh, rather kill a fly or an insect or uh, an animal uh, rather than a human being. But in principle, we have equal value and uh, right to live in this ecological web. So it's quite drastic. And he developed also uh, a way of, of uh, living in nature. We have this tradition of friluftsliv in Norway, which means that it's a way of living with uh, relatively simple means, simple equipment, and where the goal is to experience nature uh, rather than to, to perform well uh, with the... Uh, specific skills like being very clever at things it's more like sort of a, an attitude of uh, a religious or uh, an attitude like uh, artists would uh, would meet nature with so um, 
Arnenes combined these things to developing friluftsliv as something more extreme in the sense that uh, he wanted to, to focus on uh, togetherness uh, with nature and in nature using very simple equipment. He had a very nice slogan to have richness in ends and simpleness in means which means that you are able to experience wonderful things, you have deep feelings, uh, but with very simple means. You are able to realize things uh, without costly equipment. So he minimized equipment and uh, uh, developed a way of living in nature where the focus in is not on performance, uh, not on... Uh, sort of uh, doing uh, uh, performances that are admired by other people, but, but rather uh, try to, to live with and in nature, follow the rhythms of nature. And uh, it's very similar to Heidegger's later philosophy, where he also focused very much on, on this being involved with nature by respecting nature, by by not using nature for human purposes, but rather sort of letting yourself become a part of, of nature. So Arnenes had a similar idea. He was a famous climber when he was young, and he developed mm -hmm. a form of climbing uh, in later in life. I, I was a good friend of him. He was a good friend of mine. Mine. So we spent a lot of time together in climbing and, and doing other things. Um, and uh, he developed new uh, ways of climbing that didn't sort of uh, interfere so much with, uh, with uh, uh, nature in the sense that uh, instead of using uh, advanced equipment, uh, like in the old days, bolts and hammers, to, to hammer bolts into into uh, the rock, you now drop doing that and and develop horizontal climbing where you can you, you don't you climb just one meter above the ground and then you find walls that extend in both directions horizontally. Then you can use hundreds of meters of nice climbing just one meter above the ground. You should think that there is a two meter. 200 meter abyss beyond your feet so it should be sort of you should do your best but but not sort of be uh, very focused on performances but rather on experiencing uh, the nice subtleties yeah, then you can find on a rock face and see all the small living things that uh, are even in small cracks and so on so um, it's a sort of ecological climbing deep ecological climbing that is uh, it's very interesting so that mm -hmm. has been very interesting interesting for me and uh, uh, i um, have uh, tried to to develop sort of uh, a more extensive uh, theory uh, using ornness uh, it's extreme in a sense, uh, but I, I think that we need uh, also ideas that show the sort of uttermost possibilities of living in nature without uh, 
without destroying nature or interfering too negatively with uh, with nature. So I I will often be attacked by people who say well, this is not realistic, and and uh, I think it's it can be inspiring in the sense that it shows what's possible. And and then you can f- must find your own way according to your own thinking and your own ideas. But it's inspiring. And for me, Arnoness was very inspiring. So I tried to apply his thinking to, to sports and also to, uh, to uh, outdoor life. Because that is, as it is now, it's not sustainable at all. So we need to change, really change. Yeah, let's let's go into your theory and and your ideas around that in in just a second. I think for a moment I'd go back to you were saying about some commonalities in in how Heidegger thought about nature and and dwelling and um, mm. and Arnenes. So we know that in Heidegger's later works, such as the question concerning technology, where he's talking about. Um, how everything has become resources for us and we just use the nature as a resource for our projects and, and we have kind mm. of lost this um, other way of being that is probably difficult to put into words what that other way of being looks like because we are so immersed in our technological worldview. So mm. perhaps you can talk about some maybe similarities and also differences in, in how Heidegger and Arne Nest uh, think about nature and, and how they think about meaning and kind of the relationship between nature and meaning. Well, it's uh, it's actually many years since I, I read Heidegger's, uh, the late Heidegger's uh, ideas, uh, but I, I find that there are um, a lot of uh, commonalities. Um, I think uh, first uh, Heidegger and uh, Ornenes they have this basic idea of uh, uh, not using nature for our own purposes, but uh, trying to respect nature and uh, to become part uh, of nature. It's not, as Arnon has said, it's, uh, you, you can't conquer a mountain. You can only uh, climb, and you should only climb, if you respect the mountain and you adapt to the mountain. But it's uh, it's uh, this whole Western uh, sort of say uh, way of thinking uh, by way of the conquering and uh, using things for our own purposes. That's the opposite of what both Arnes and, and, and Heidegger wants. Heidegger talks about, for instance, the, he talks about Rhine, the river Rhine, and and how we uh, put up a hydroelectric plant in the Rhine, and the hydroelectric plant is not put into the Rhine, but as he says, but uh, it's the opposite way. Rhine is put into the hydroelectric plant. So we are setting things up and we are using nature. So uh, uh, the whole, whole idea of technology is to extract and s- store uh, resources, as we call it, from nature to be used for human purposes. And he calls this the, uh, the whole, everything ends up, as it says in German, as a gestell, which means we could uh, translate it maybe as standing reserve for human uh, purposes. 
and and this is society uh, not something that we so to say as human beings have decided because uh, in Heidegger's philosophy it's actually the being that uh, reveals the world and human beings in different ways so uh, it's this way of relieve, revealing uh, which means that technology is possible and this is sort of a power that we can't control as we can control other things so it's not we that are so to say uh, the agents or the 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 the, the force behind uh, what is uh, going on what's being developed but actually there is uh, uh, the sign the being that reveals the world in different ways so uh, this is very difficult to to explain but um, uh, has, he he doesn't have this uh, sort of uh, idea of being uh, because uh, for him uh, it's rather the totality of the the ecological uh, system it's not uh, acting as a sort of a power there is no being behind uh, that is uh, deciding how the world will develop but it mm-hmm. is all the actors that will uh, will uh, make a difference and therefore uh, also in sports it's important to to thread lightly on earth as he says to uh, to be uh, aware of uh, uh, our own position in the uh, ecological web and uh, be uh, uh, serving uh, instead of conquering and this is again when it comes to results similar to heidegger's uh, idea of do as uh, they used to do earlier to respect nature and let nature live uh, he admires in many ways the old peasants and the way they took care of and respected and uh, developed a way of living that uh, was in accordance with uh, with uh, the surroundings so um, they ba- both have this idea of not letting the modern attitude of uh, conquering and uh, uh, winning but rather the attitude of letting be and uh, uh, becoming involved by uh, accepting that uh, one is uh, just a, a small part uh, of the whole uh, total system and therefore sports should also uh, adhere to this uh, letting be and uh, being part of instead of uh, developing more costly and resourceful uh, ways of uh, doing sports so it's it's a challenge for all sports people to develop new ways of doing sports i think yeah and you said that your ideas about this ecologically sustainable sport are quite radical and idealistic for some but let's just explore can you Tell a little bit, a little bit more about what is your proposal, and and be as radical as you want. Well, I think uh, we need uh, to do two things at the same time. 
uh, uh, it's my I'm now concentrating on 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 my thinking uh, according to to uh, what I have been developing in the the last years, um, listening both to Heidegger and on an essay and others, of course. I think I would welcome actually uh, probably more than Heidegger that we. We need also uh, what he calls uh, shallow ecology because we need to start somewhere. So on one hand, we need uh, to get uh, both individuals and groups and organizations and corporations and states and international systems to move on with what is uh, now uh, started. Uh, it's about uh, becoming uh, much more uh, acceptable when it comes to, to handling uh, the, the biosphere. Uh, on the other hand, we we also need good examples. We need uh, something that can inspire us. Uh, and here Arnenes and also uh, Heidegger um, are important because uh, they set up ideals where it is to show how it's possible to develop and how uh, then more and more singly uh, individuals and groups and maybe organizations can become as radical as uh, Arnenes and, and uh, Heidegger uh, would show. So I would welcome that that we in science, both philosophy, could, could find groups of people that were interested in develop this new green sport, a more radical uh, sport, and think about ideas and also practices and coming together and see how we could practice sports in ways that... Uh, are inspired by, for instance, Arnenes, because he, he has a lot of good examples uh, to give in his own practice uh, of what we could do. For instance, let me show just one very simple example. Uh, when he was at his cottage at Tvergastein up in the mountains, he had a cottage where he spent altogether 13 years of his life, and uh, he decided to, to do some running. So he put on running shoes. Uh, he had bought some. And then he started to, to uh, run a track that he had set up. Uh, took an hour or so. And he tried to, to run faster every time. So he wanted to, he was occupied with setting personal records. But then he thought, this is stupid because I maybe run a few seconds uh, faster but, but what do I do with these seconds and I experience so little of the landscape I, I'm just focused on my next step and how to run faster so he, he dropped the, the running shoes and put on his boots, old boots and then he ran very slowly walking, running but he experienced what was around him and experienced the landscape his emotions and feelings, interaction with uh, everything around him came back. He became much happier. He ran much slower, but enjoyed everything much, much, much more. So this is one of many examples of how it changed. He was a very competitive climber when he was young, but it changed his way of uh, uh, doing things and experiencing things. And uh, it, it was for him a big advantage. And... Uh, 
I think for many of us, uh, we should reflect on how we how we could do things uh, in order to 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 do what we really really want to do. Yeah, and uh, I I like the example, and I think often we are too busy. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> running and 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 doing our records that we don't pay attention to the surroundings and kind of how how we experience and how we resonate with the world and and that green green space around us i guess my question at this point would be then what is the possible role of competition or you said that we should not be focused on yeah. using the the surroundings as our for our own projects and not to be focused on winning but is there some value in competition in in this green sport yeah i think on the next example is is extreme uh, in a sense uh, or uh, that we should have no competition at all that i think is uh, is not uh, realistic and it's not i i like competitions uh, but we should also develop ways of doing sports in uh, with competitions but without interfering in, in a negative way uh, with their surroundings natural surroundings more than uh, necessary and if you look at international competitions today with the uh, arenas and resources that are used it's uh, it's uh, it's not possible to go on with this if we are wanting wanting to have a, a greener planet uh, so obviously something is wrong with the total sports system but competition as Per se, uh, I'm not negative to that. Uh, we haven't talked so much uh, about it, but but my basic idea uh, about sport is that is uh, it is a, a, an exploration of what we can do and uh, uh, an ex- exploration of our surroundings. Uh, so I see sports in these four. Uh, different directions as we talked about the fourfold as we talked about earlier but also in general i think that uh, sport is a wonderful example of how we explore uh, the possibilities of what we can do uh, in our human body we have and there is a sort of uh, evolutionary perspective also here that has come up in two recent books also in sports philosophy it seems that we are more and more taking a look back at uh, so to say our evolutionary background and humans survived by exploring the environment and exploring what they could do with their bodies and also developed various ways of playing and developing sports as explorations and we are continuing to do that and i think that is very fascinating and therefore i'm fascinated with all the new nature sports the extreme sport risk sports lifestyle sports that have been developed recently because it's it shows how the exploration through sporting activities goes on and on so i'm fascinated with that and as part of the exploration of different different types of sport i'm also interested in exploring different types of doing uh, sport as competitions for instance and and developing new ways Uh, so uh, the explorative element is for me very important whereas if you look at most traditional sports they have been very static the old rules are the same rules uh, the rules today are the same as the old rules for instance in in uh, a sport like baseball nothing has changed you can still look uh, 50 years back and and uh, 
compare the records of today with records of 50 years ago. Maybe this is a little bit uh, extreme uh, example, but, uh, but they are very traditional. But I'm, I like sport as exploration, and therefore I also like exploring new ways of doing green sports, uh, ways of doing sports that are more... Um, uh, able to 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 uh, be accepted according to uh, uh, what in, we need to do to have a deep a deep ecological way of doing sports. So uh, this exploration and competition aspect, uh, I think, uh, they are not uh, in opposition to to the greening of sport. Yeah, I think that's a really nice clarification and. Um what would be in terms of if we think of that in a very practical practical level we need a change in our sport culture we need to become more sustainable and and more green what do you think like in a very practical terms what would be the first things to do to strive towards that goal well it it depends upon whether you look at the international sports system or if you look at uh, the individual sporting human being uh, or the group of people uh, i think on the international level we have uh, we have uh, for a long time since the olympic games lillehammer 1994 we had uh, they was were called the first green games because uh, uh, environmental concerns were part of the setting up of the games and the Olympic movement have tried to develop guidelines for a more sustainable sport and these guidelines, I've looked at them uh, I study I did for some years ago the guidelines are not bad they are part of what RNS would uh, call uh, uh, well, the more uh, superficial ecological uh, concerns but uh, but uh, nevertheless there is uh, there is uh, a thinking uh, in, in the right direction but when you come to practice the olympic movement uh, uh, has not been able to set up for much of practical use that can be guidelining uh, other systems for developing green sports so so the theory is not so bad but it's uh, but the practice uh, is not is not uh, necessary. But we we need to tighten the screw. We need to, to make this some uh, this system uh, function much better. Uh, developing because the Olympic system is very important, and also the different uh, specific sport organizations. They are different because they they reach out. Uh, so uh, we need to, to work on that. But at the same time, there is, uh, instead of this uh, top-down approach, we need also a bottom-up approach where, as I said, uh, single participants, single performers, single sport persons uh, can develop uh, ways together with other sport persons of the same mind, develop ways of doing things that can be inspiring. Uh, and I think with social media today, uh, these things can spread uh, pretty fast. If you if you look at Greta Thunberg and how, how in a short time uh, this uh, developed into a, a movement among um, young people uh, in school, you can we can see the same in sports if you if you get uh, people to to use uh, uh, me, the new media and and uh, start working together on on changing uh, from a sort of bottom bottom up uh, position. So we need both top down and and bottom up. Uh, we need uh, we need. Uh, 
shallow ecological uh, developments, but uh, we need also deep ecological uh, changes. Yeah, I, I think these practical messages are really a wonderful way of wrapping up our discussion today. So uh, once more, I would really like to thank you, Gunnar, for taking the time to talk to me. And I am sure the discussion will be inspirational to a lot of listeners. So thank you so much. Thank you very much. I enjoy this a lot. Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Research through Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts or whichever app you use. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be great help for us we have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes so be sure to tune in thank you all for your support and have a great day